Good morning, church. I'm excited uh, as we uh, are beginning to go through uh, the Psalms for the next couple of months as we begin the summer. Uh, And I feel that it is fitting that as we are beginning uh, a study in the Psalms, the songbook of God's people, that I, I share with you, people that already know me know this, but those of you that might not know me as well, uh, I am an audiophile with a PH, not an F. An audiophile with an F, you would, that's something you download. An audiophile with a PH is a lover of music, and that is me. I have grown up my entire life just constantly surrounded by music. On my phone itself, I have somewhere around 37 gigs of music on my phone itself, and that's not even including you know, access to Pandora and things like that, but I love music. And maybe, maybe I grew up watching too many movies, but I feel like my own life has its soundtrack. And that every moment in life, there's an appropriate song that adds to the element. There's appropriate music that makes the, the quietness of a scene more robust, more alive. Every moment has music that fits. For those of you that have gone through some type of a heartbreak when you were younger, for those of you that that are, are, are still in school, maybe there was someone that you had a crush on and they rejected you. And there, but there's that that song that like speaks that heartbreak that you feel. Like that that song, they they get me. They know how I feel. Or maybe there's that moment of rejoice. Where it, it, you just you, you crank up it, it's that song that comes on the radio and you have to roll down the windows and crank it up because you're like, I am just feeling life at this moment. Maybe there there's music that you know that you just need to calm your heart. I actually used to keep a, a CD in my car. Uh, I, full confession, I I uh, I'm somewhat. My tendency is to be a rage driver. I get very angry when I drive. And so I, I would intentionally keep a CD. Do you remember that girl, Charlotte Church, the, 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 young, the young girl with the beautiful opera voice? I kept that in my van for when I was getting really angry. I'm, I, I need to put this in and calm, calm down. Like It was just one of those things where I knew that it would calm my heart. Maybe there's music that you use to pump yourself up and get excited. For us, a lot of times when we're cleaning the house... We'll turn, on, we'll turn on Pandora to Chicago radio. And so it's a bunch of music in that Chicago style. Uh, when I'm working out, I like to put on something like Daft Punk's Discovery album or Andy Minio's uh, uh, Superhero because they have those driving beats that keep me going. Uh, maybe you're one of those people that, like me, you know that you can get a song stuck in your coworker's head and you want to you just mess with them a little bit, so you turn on Total Eclipse of the Heart, and then the rest of the day you can hear your coworker churn around, like, ugh! But every moment in life, there, there's a song that can feed into that moment because music moves the heart. It engages the soul. It helps us to remember and to learn. I still remember like half of those old schoolhouse rock music videos from when I was a child because Conjunction Junction helped me learn how conjunctions function. 
Because music speaks to the soul. And so the Psalter, which is what the book of Psalms is, it is a collection of Psalms. It is a Psalter that is a collection of songs that engage the heart, mind, and soul of God's people while also teaching people about who God is and what He has done and reminding them of who God is and what He has done. And so the psalm that we looked at this morning, Psalm 103, serves as a reminder that God's people should have a faith that celebrates. Just like music itself, there, there are, 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 are songs and musical themes that fit different aspects of our emotions and how we are feeling. The psalms do the same thing. And Psalm 103 is a psalm that engages the heart to celebrate, that all of God's people should have a faith that celebrates. That God's people shouldn't just have a faith that spews recited memories and facts. It's not just a faith of book knowledge. The faith of God's people, the Christian faith, is not a list of empty facts that do not stir the heart. But we have a faith that engages us to sing. Even as we were preparing for for our, our hearts for worship, as we were engaging in worship through song, that the songs that we sing are, are Justin, I, I know this, that Justin is, is meticulously planning out songs that fit with God's Word to engage the heart and to move God's people into worship. And so God's people sing. And looking at Psalm 103, we see three reminders of what this psalm is pointing us to celebrate. In verses 1-14, through we see the reminder of intimate relationship. Intimate relationship. In verses 15-19, through we see the reminder of enduring hope. And lastly, in verses 20-22, through we see the reminder of inviting others. Before I go any further, let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your goodness. We thank You that You are a God that does not just give us facts to memorize, but that You give us Your own Word as a song for our soul. And so as we look at this psalm, this song that You have given to Your people, speak with us now. Be with us now. Let your spirit speak through me and my brokenness and my distractedness. Lord, speak your truth through me. Engage the hearts of your people for your kingdom's sake. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. So we're looking at Psalm 103, and we see that Psalm 103 is a psalm of praise. It is, it is actually a, a biblical hymn of praise engaging God's people to sing and worship and praise and adoration. 
And I don't know if you noticed, but when, when David was actually reading the Scripture, uh, uh, he included the, the beginning of the psalm itself, which says, of David. And I know a lot of times reading through the psalms, uh, the tendency is just to skip over that pretext stuff. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, David wrote that, whatever. But that's information that is recorded for a reason. Because David, being one of the great uh, psalmists of God's people, he's one of the great hymn writers of church history itself, that we see that this is a song written by David himself to engage others in worship. That this, this psalm is intentional in engaging the heart of God's people in worship. And so we see that David is actually beginning this psalm speaking to his own soul. Challenging his own soul to focus on worship. And how is he doing that? He opens the psalm with a reminder of intimate relationship. Look at verses 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And actually... Since we're going to be spending some time in the, the Old Testament this summer, I'll go ahead and, and uh, unpack this for just a moment. But anytime you see the Lord in all capital letters like that, that's actually uh, in the original Hebrew that is written out as Yahweh, the covenant name of God. And out of respect of not wanting to dishonor His name, when translated into English, they write it LORD, all capital letters. But any time that you see Lord, all capital letters, I would actually encourage you not to read it as the Lord. Read it as the covenant name of God Himself, as Yahweh. Bless Yahweh, O my soul. Because that is the name that God Himself has given His people to say, here I am, you can know me. And this is actually one of the first ways that we see an intimate relationship. That David is not saying, bless the ruler. It's not bless God. He's saying bless Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel who makes Himself known. He opens up the psalm with the covenant, faithful name of God. Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. He's speaking to his own soul and saying, everything that is within me, I need to remind myself to bless Yahweh. Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Now it's interesting because David, Scripture describes as a man after God's own heart. Having written the majority of the Psalms in the book of Psalms, you would think that this is not something that David has to do to tell himself, oh, I better remember God. I better remember Yahweh. But he's challenging himself, bless, the, bless Yahweh, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He had, David, God's own chosen ruler, has to remind himself, do not forget the benefits of God. Because in Deuteronomy 8, David knows the tendency of his own heart as recorded in Deuteronomy 8, take care lest you forget Yahweh your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I command you today. 
Lest, when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that He might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. David knows that that is the tendency of his own heart to forget all of the blessings that God has done, not just for him, but for God's own people. And David knows that his heart will too quickly say, I got myself here. And so David opens his psalm saying, Soul, remember, bless Yahweh. This isn't just a mere forgetting, oh yeah, I forgot God did that. But this is a forgetting of self-reliance. That after a while, you and I are no different from the people of Israel that we see the things in our life and we think, I did this. I got myself here. I put myself in this situation. And so David writes to his own heart and in 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 doing so is challenging God's people, challenging you today to remind your own heart. Bless Yahweh, O my soul. And let's look at what David writes about the benefits of who Yahweh is. Who forgives all your iniquity. Who heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This isn't just another God that you have to continually give things away or make sacrifices just to make Him happy, but this is a God who makes Himself known, who gets involved, and this is a God who forgives. This is a God who heals. This is a God who redeems. Redeems your life from the pit. And in looking in the context of these other descriptions that that David has written out here, that this isn't just a temporary uh, uh, removal of conflict in your life, but David is, is the language that David is using here, he's looking at an eternal perspective to be forgiven of iniquity and sin, to be healed forevermore of all diseases, to be redeemed eternally from the pit who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. And I don't know uh, what translation you might be reading if you have your own Bible with you. The the ESV uses the word steadfast love, the phrase steadfast love. I think the the NIV just says uh, love, just love. Uh, But different translations translate this different ways. But the word itself in the original Hebrew is one of the most beautiful words 
in the Old Testament, and the word is chesed. It's, it's a hard H sound, chesed. And it is a chesed love. And just like uh, whenever you think there are certain times in your life that there's a word that you think of that there is baggage associated with that word. Maybe the word thanksgiving brings along the baggage of, oh my goodness, that thanksgiving of 89 where drunk Uncle Harry did whatever. But there, there are certain words in your mind that whenever you hear that word baggage, positive or negative, is associated with it. And this word chesed is the word used to describe the covenant faithfulness of God. That this word chesed describes how God does not abandon His people. That the, the covenant of God between His people was instituted by God Himself. And God Himself is the faithful party in that relationship. All of that baggage is associated with the Hebrew word chesed. And that word is actually used four times in this psalm alone. Because David is reminding himself and he's reminding God's people, and he's reminding you today to remember the covenant faithfulness of God. That you are crowned with chesed love. Covenant faithful love and mercy. And this God satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That your youth or that your strength is renewed so that you can endure. Not because of anything that you've done, but because of the faithfulness of God on your behalf. This is a God who engages His people on a personal level. That Yahweh works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses. His acts to the people of Israel. That this covenant God, this God who makes Himself known in intimate relationship, brings righteousness and justice for the ones that cannot protect themselves. That He is the, the protector of the defenseless. He brings justice to the accused, to those that cannot protect themselves. And as He made Himself known to Moses and His acts to the people of Israel, that this is a God who does not just drop off some clues and then abandon His people. He's not a God that winds a clock and then just leaves it to run on its own. But this is a God who engages in the lives of His people. That He invites them into relationship with Himself. That Yahweh is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in, there's that word again, chesed love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. That this is a God of mercy and grace that as you look throughout the Old Testament, even if, if you take them a moment to examine your own heart, that you cannot 
you don't just see the, the unfaithfulness of God's people, but if you're honest with your own heart and mind, that you see the unfaithfulness of your own heart toward this God who makes Himself known. And David says that this is a God who deals in mercy and grace. That He is slow to anger. That He is overflowing with this chesed love of covenant faithfulness. That He will not always chide. He will not hold His anger forever. And in, in His grace and mercy, He does not deal with His people according to our sins, nor pay us according to our iniquities. That this is a relational God of perfect love. Not a love that is earned. Not because of anything that God's people or you or me have done to earn His favor and His affection. But because of His faithfulness, His mercy, His grace. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His chesed love toward those who fear Him. So far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so Yahweh shows compassion to those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. That this, again, chesed love. And I'm going to drill that word into your hearts and minds because it is the covenant faithfulness of God that is so high that you, you cannot look at the sky and say, alright, well, heaven is approximately this high from the ground. But as immeasurable as heaven is from the earth itself is God's love for His people. As far as the east is from the west, that God removes His sins or the sins from His people. And it's, it's interesting, or, or it, He's intentional with using east and west and not north and south because if you look at a globe, if you're traveling north at a certain point, you'll start going south again. At, if you walk far enough north, at some point, you will begin going south. And so, God does not remove the sins from His people as the north from the south, but whenever you're walking east, you will never begin walking west if you continue in an eastward direction. The same in the reverse direction. If you are, if you are forever walking west, you will never reach a point where you say, alright, well now I'm walking east. And so, God removes the sins from His people as far as the east is from the west that they never intersect. This covenant God removes the sins from His people. And as a father shows compassion to his children, Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, shows compassion to His people. That He knows our frame. And the word knows here is a very intentional word of intimacy in the Old Testament in the same way that in Genesis 4 it is written that Adam knew his wife. It is not just a mere collection of facts and information. It is a knowledge of intimacy. 
that this word uh, for, for to know, that there's relationship in that knowledge. That this covenant God of Israel knows the frame of His people. And this God remembers that His people are dust. The reader reader is never told what is going on in, in, in David's life at this point. Why David is so intentional on saying, my soul needs to remember this. Soul, bless Yahweh. We're never told what is going on. There are some psalms where it specifically says it is written at this point in David's life. After his sin with Bathsheba or when he is fleeing Saul. We're not given that information why David is so intent on reminding his soul. But we are, what we do see, what is revealed, is that he is not giving his soul mere doctrine. He's not giving his soul uh, these pithy little quotes. He's not telling his soul these, these little catchphrases about God. But he's reminding his soul by pointing to the character of the covenant God of Israel. The God that spoke creation into existence and then made Himself known. That this Yahweh who engages in deep personal relationship. And standing where we are at this point in history, we look at this list that David wrote out and we see all of that list fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. We see forgiveness and healing and redemption and covenant faithfulness. We see righteousness and justice and making Himself known. We see mercy and grace. We see a slowness to anger and an abundance of love. We see all of these things that David has just listed met and fulfilled and amplified in the person of Jesus Christ. That all of the character traits of Yahweh throughout the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The God who came in the flesh to make Himself known to His people. To take your sin upon Himself. To die a literal death. And to rise again in literal life. We see the glory of Yahweh revealed in Christ. Because maybe your soul has forgotten the benefits of this God. Maybe you need to take care, like Deuteronomy 8 warned, take care lest you forget. Maybe as David instructed his own soul, soul, bless Yahweh. Maybe you need to do the same for your soul. Bless Yahweh and all His benefits for all that He has done. And maybe you need to remember the covenant, faithful God of Israel who works righteousness and justice and shows mercy and grace. Who forgives and heals and separates sin as far as the east is from the west. That this covenant God who revealed Himself as a heavenly Father and who physically came as the obedient and humble Son 
Perhaps today you need to remind your soul of this God who reveals Himself in intimate relationship. But David's soul does not just need to remember that intimate relationship because he also gives himself the reminder of enduring hope. In verses 15 and 16, we see that David is reflecting on the frailty of human life and how quickly it passes. He writes, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. I can only imagine what it must be like for God's people to come together and with one voice sing of the glory and the benefits of God and to sing of the fleeting, passing frailty of human life. That man's life is like grass that is green for a while. And it fades. Like a flower of the field that, that blooms, it, it sprouts up and, and blooms into a beautiful flower and quickly passes away. As the wind quickly passes over and blows from one place to another. That the life of every person is here for a moment, but in the scheme of eternity, quickly passes and fades. But, as discouraging as that might be at first glance, David continues and says, and here's that word again, the Hesed love of Yahweh is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. And His righteousness to children's children to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments, Yahweh has established His throne in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. That this is a God who engages into the lives of His people, not just into their direct life, but that His faithfulness extends to their continuing family. As God made the promise to Abraham in Genesis 17, I will establish My covenant between Me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. That the covenant faithfulness, the chesed love of Yahweh is from everlasting to everlasting. The Hebrew literally translates from forever to forever. From eternity to eternity. That even right now in in our finite minds as we understand time, we can't understand infinity itself. I mean, logically we know it, it goes on forever. There is no end. But that God's love is described. His faithfulness is described as going from forever to forever. Infinity squared. We can't even understand infinity itself, and he doubles it. That's how great God's covenant faithfulness is to his people, and not just them, but to their children's children. That his faithfulness extends to the generations. And this is actually why we celebrated covenant baptism last week. For those of you that were here, uh, 
for our family, we had our youngest son baptized. Not because he's made any kind of proclamation of faith. He's 11 months old. Right now, he's still trying to master the word mama. In no way has he made a, a declaration or a proclamation of faith, but that he is baptized into the covenant family of God because of the faith of me as his father, the faith of Amy as his mother, that we understand Scripture in such a way that the covenant faithfulness and blessings of God are applied to our children because we have submitted ourselves to His covenant and His faithfulness and His love. That according to the covenant faithfulness of Yahweh, this God who makes Himself known, our children are brought into the covenant blessings of God. Because His covenant faithfulness is more than our fleeting emotions. That even as a pastor, that there are moments where I'm just tired and exhausted, or I'm afraid, and I'm so thankful that my hope and my faith is not dependent upon my own emotion, but that my faith and my hope is dependent upon the God who is faithful from forever to forever. And this is why David is reminding his soul, bless Yahweh, not because of David's own faithfulness, but because of God's faithfulness. That this God who has established His throne in the heaven and rules over all has established His sovereign rule to display His covenant faithfulness. So today, have you lost hope? Are you at a point in your life where your heart is, is whispering in pain that there's nothing to live for. Not in a way that you want to give up on life itself, but that you just feel so drained from the drudgery of life itself that each day just seems more of like a fatalistic surviving of just getting from one day to the next. Are you at a point in your life where you find yourself saying, it is what it is. Which is one of the most depressing phrases that God's people can utter. To give up hope to such a point that you feel like God cannot even intervene and that the struggles that you are enduring, it is what it is. Are you just trying to make it through one more day? David points his soul to God's eternal covenant faithfulness, to His chesed love that extends not just to the faith of His people, but to the children's children of God's people. This covenant faithfulness that extends beyond generations because even in the midst of struggling and strife and chaos, that God has not abandoned His people and He has not abandoned you. That He is working and continuing His faithfulness from forever to forever. That this is a God of intimate relationship who makes Himself known, who gives His people an enduring hope not just to survive today, 
but a hope that gives faithfulness and mercy and love to you and your children and your children's children for generations from forever to forever. That God's faithfulness and His mercy and grace give us a song of hope to remind our soul. But Psalm 103 is not just a reminder of that intimate relationship. It's not just a reminder of the enduring hope. But Psalm 103 closes with a reminder of inviting others into that relationship and into that hope. Picking up in verse 20, Bless Yahweh, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His Word, obeying the voice of His Word. Bless Yahweh all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. He's turned his, his cry now. He's not just engaging His own heart and His soul, but now He's crying out to the heavenly host, to the angels themselves, and calling out, join in the song because of God's goodness. Because of God's covenant faithfulness, all of the heavenly hosts, join me in singing. Imagine the pure joy and excitement that he's not engaging his heart anymore. He's crying out to these angelic beings that he can't even see. It's like, angels, sing with me of the glory of God because of His faithfulness. Bless Yahweh all His works in all places of His dominion. Bless Yahweh, O my soul. That He's engaging His soul and the heavenly beings and all of creation itself. Inviting them to bless Yahweh because of His goodness. In Luke 15, we see Jesus giving the, the parables of the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son. And twice, Jesus gives the reminder to His people the information that heaven rejoices. The angels themselves rejoice when one sinner repents and turns from sin to God's glory. That the heavens themselves rejoice and erupt with celebration over repentance. In Romans 8, Paul writes that creation itself is longing and groaning for redemption. And we don't, anytime we think of creation joining in, I almost get this scene like from the, the old Looney Tunes cartoons of like this tree with a big giant smile on its face and uh, put on a happy face. Like, but we, it's almost this comical scene of uh, a, a cartoonish creation joining in. But Scripture describes that creation itself is longing and groaning for the day of redemption when Christ comes again to bring full glory to creation. And in Philippians, Paul writes again when describing the heart and mind of Jesus Christ, he closes that passage by saying that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. That Scripture itself gives descriptions of all of creation joining in this celebration song. 
That it's not just God's people singing a few songs on a Sunday morning. It's not just God's people putting on a praise and worship CD on your drive to work or in the background when you're doing housework. But that creation itself is longing to join in this song of celebration. The heavenly beings, physical creation itself, even those who do not submit their hearts to the Lord will one day bow at the knee and confess with the tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so a godly faith doesn't point to itself and say, look at what I have become, but a godly faith points at the object of your faith. It says, look at the One who saves. Look at His goodness This God who makes Himself known in an intimate relationship. And look at His covenant faithfulness, how He never abandons His people. And that faith invites others into worship. Because your heart, the human heart, is made to worship. That comes naturally. Right before I proposed to Amy, when I had bought her engagement ring, she was living in Columbia at the time, and I was living in Rock Hill. And so, I, I, don't, I don't even know if I told you this, but I actually carried her ring around with me almost everywhere that I went because I wanted to show it off to everyone that was in my life. Like, we had a, a men's night that met at a local restaurant, and so I'd show it to the waitresses, and I'm like, I'm about to propose, look at this. I showed it to, to all of my coworkers at the church that I worked at, look at this, I can't wait to propose. Because I was so excited about this love in my life that I wanted them to engage in my excitement and join me in my excitement. And that's what your heart does too. Because people know the things that you are passionate about. The things that you talk about with your family, or your co-workers, or your classmates, the things that you post and share pictures of or talk about on social media. And so I want you to pause for just a moment and think, what do people know about the things that you worship? Do people know more about your personal politics and who you voted for and why? Do they know that more than they know about the faith that you believe in? Do people know more about your, your personal favorite sports team or your, your favorite player that, whose stats you have memorized? Do they know that more than they know what you do on a Sunday morning? For people, especially my wife and myself, do people know more about the silly and ridiculous and adorable things that your kids say and do more than they know about the cry of your own heart for this God who has made Himself known? Your heart is made to worship. And by extension, your very life reveals the thing that your heart worships. You are inviting others into what brings you joy. Is your faith a time card that you punch on a Sunday morning? I've just got to check this off of my spiritual to-do list. I went to church, got it done. Is it just mere facts and the occasional memorized Scripture? 
Does your faith point to the majesty of God and His love and mercy and grace and His covenant faithfulness and say, look at His beauty. Look at His faithfulness. Join me in praising Him. Are you actively inviting others into the joy of your own faith and marveling at the awe of who this God is? What is your life worshiping? And so as we finish today, I want to ask, what do you need to be reminded of? Your heart, your soul. Does your soul need to remember the intimate relationship of God who works on behalf of His people and whose mercy and forgiveness is fulfilled in the literal person and work of Jesus Christ? Do you need to point your soul to His covenant faithfulness that though life is as fleeting as the flowers of the field, that His faithfulness continues from forever to forever to you and your children's children? Does your heart and soul need to be reminded to invite others to worship with you? Do you sing in a way that calls out to creation itself? Come and bless Yahweh, our mighty God. Will you remind your soul today? Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Yahweh, mighty God, You are our Redeemer, our Lover, our Savior. You are the One who redeems us from the pit. That You make Yourself known and invite us into relationship with You. And God, we confess that far too often our hearts do not cry out in pure joy over what You have done. God, we confess that we have settled our hearts far too often for far too little. Let us rejoice and sing out of how good You are. Remind our very souls of the blessings of Your love from forever to forever. Receive our praise. We thank You, God. And we pray this in the beautiful, heavenly name of Jesus Christ. Amen.